You are now about to witness the strength of Raider Nation. What a difference a week makes. The Raiders last week were pummeled by the Minnesota Vikings, and this week turned it around and dominated the trenches against the Indianapolis Colts, getting the victory 31-24, a hard-fought victory for the Oakland Raiders. Welcome in, Raider Nation, and anyone else who's listening, as usual. This is New Era Nation, a podcast focused on the Oakland Raiders, but we'll get into other teams and other things as well as we go along. But I just right now, I just want to heap some well-deserved praise on our boys uh, coming through, making us proud, working hard, fighting through injuries, whatever adjustments had to be made. And they played well. They played hard, and they got a victory in Indianapolis, first time since, like, 2001. And isn't it a lovely morning? You know what, Sher? It is a lovely morning. Finally, you asked that, and I can say yes, it's a great morning. Time to bask a little bit. Um, let's give our boys a props. Let's enjoy this victory while we can. We don't know how many, honestly, guys. We don't know how many are coming down the road. Uh, we know what this team's capable of. But let's enjoy the process, too. We've got a lot of youngsters on this team, and there's going to be a lot of growth, and we're seeing it weekly. We're seeing improvement, progress. It's nice to watch them grow, especially when they play well and get a victory like this. A lot of us burn through the season angry, you know, just looking at the negative and what the team can do better. Completely ignoring the fact that this roster is not there yet. Some Raider fans act like this team should be contending for the Super Bowl every year and have high standards, very high standards, and that's good. I have high standards for the team as well, but let's keep it realistic, and that's what I've been preaching uh, every pod. We're not Super Bowl contenders, guys. I hate to break it to you. So be happy with the progress made and be realistic about it. Because if we're talking about the standard, the Raiders have, you know, the Raiders have held a low standard for almost two decades now, and this team's actually exceeding that the, that set standard for the past couple decades. So let's keep that in perspective. Like today in the morning after Raiders victory, you know, you get your morning paper, a cup of coffee, maybe an omelet, crack open that paper. And don't see anything about the victory. Instead, a bunch of stuff about Vontae's perfect being suspended for the year. Not saying he didn't deserve it, but uh, you ain't taking our thunder away. It's a good victory, and I'm going to enjoy it. We're going to enjoy it. So the NFL and the referees and Al River on Gene Steratore, all those guys, um, go choke on a sausage. Enough about those guys. Um, Let's jump into the game. As usual, I'm going to start on the offensive side and start with Derek Carr. Carr played well. Carr played well. Derek Carr looked good out there yesterday. That's the kind of bounce back we needed to see and I was hoping to see, and I thought I would see. So it's good to uh, see. Touchdown pass. Three to eight. 
Blocked by Miller at the left tackle to the end zone. Caught for a touchdown! Tyrell Williams! And he beats Quincy Wilson. A second touchdown pass for Derek Carr. Excuse me, I'm trying to adjust the mic here a little bit. So I can get a clear sound. Hello, hello. One, two, three. Okay. So those are very nice highlights of what Derek Carr is doing out there. Um, those were two beautiful touchdown passes. And he was hitting guys on third downs, getting conversions, and even took a couple deep shots out there. Showing that he doesn't have fear, that he's not scared to throw the ball deep downfield. What we're finding out is there's a lack of actual bodies to put out on the football field at the wide receiver position. And it's a constant adjustment and work in progress. And he's taking shots when he sees one. And they're not unnecessary. He is taking shots with no fear down there when he sees something that's possible. It's just not very many opportunities. Carr managed the game very well. And then, but when I hear, when people hear the word manage, uh, for some reason it's a bad word. Every great quarterback has to manage the game correctly and make the right calls in place. They have to be a great manager uh, of the offense. And that's what Carr did. He took care of the football mainly, and that's what QB needs to do. He didn't take many chances, that unnecessary chances. Had a couple beautiful throws out there, which I told you, we all know it. Derek Carr throws a nice football. There were a couple deep balls that were maybe ill-advised throws. Could have ended up interceptions, but didn't, which is good. But other than that, he had a great game. Um, you can get a little impatient not seeing things develop downfield. Derek Carr quickly processes it, and if there's nothing there, he checks it down. Some say a little too quickly processing it. But he did. He managed the game great. There's nothing downfield. you got to check it down. As long as you're moving the football, sustained drives, um, they were keying in. They are getting things done on third downs, keeping drives alive, putting themselves in position on third down to you know have a good chance of picking up the first downs. So the offense moved the ball well. And Carr said this, that the offense is moving and just couldn't finish. This week they finished, with the exception of one uh, Tyrell Williams drop touchdown. If he catches that, I think he's tied for the league lead in touchdown catches. But overall, we saw improvement. And that improvement, I you know, we all expect that to continue. And it's the growth of the team. And this is all I'm really asking. You know, scrap for every positive yard. You know, get the team in position to convert. Then convert the third downs. Keep drives alive. Drain the clock. Also, and at the same time, they'll also drain the will of the defense. And this is all we can ask. Because this offense is capable of doing those things. And I was already worried about the receiving core. You know, at the time I was doing my preview, I was talking about we only had uh, Tyrell Williams and J.J. Nelson as starters with experience. And we had Trevor Davis, who never started in his four years as a specialist in kick returns, and our rookie, Keelan Doss. And then before the game, J.J. Nelson couldn't even go. He was a scratch. Had a bad knee. Further magnifying the issue we were having at wide receiver position. And I'd also said that the tight ends would have to be more involved um, because we're because of the lack of depth at the receiver position. And they were more involved, especially early. 
in the first and second drive, tight ends were huge. And they were the main, you know, drivers of the offense. They finished the game, both of them, Foster Moreau and, of course, Darren Waller. They finished the game with 10 catches, 91 yards, and a touchdown. Not bad. In my preview, I thought we would be using a lot of two tight end, but I thought it'd be um, Derek Carrier instead of Foster Moreau. But what did we learn about Foster Moreau in this game? Why isn't it Derek Carrier? Well, possibly it's because Foster Moreau is already an excellent blocker. He can assist in the run game and get open and make some catches. And he's also shown that ability to jump up and make a contested catch, come down, secure it. He did that on that touchdown. He's got more pass-catching ability than people give him credit for. So either Derek Carrier is injured or Foster Moreau's already passed him on the death chart and is a number two tight end going forward. Fifth round pick. It seems to be a good one. And Gruden and Greg Olson, you know, they've been talking about trying to be more explosive, get more big plays going in the offense. And they accomplished that with the reverse to Trevor Davis for a 60-yard touchdown. Now, that's, that's a big explosive play. That's what I'm talking about. So a lot of people just want to talk about Gruden. But you have to understand, he's a great coach, and he's got a great staff. Maybe not have a great roster, but they're going to, you know, work with what they got. And each week, this has only been four weeks. We're still figuring out what each person can do. And once that is figured out, we're going to put them in the positions to succeed. And that's what we're seeing playing out. And you put the offense in a position to consistently feed Josh Jacobs, and at the end of the game have him be a closer, that is the recipe for this football team's success this year, for this roster. And even though the team only had three wide receivers, they're very successful moving the ball on this Colts defense. And you want to talk about balance, 188 rushing yards and 189 passing yards. 31 rushes, 32 passes. You can't get more balance than that. I mean, sure, we'd like those yards to be in the 500, 600 yard range but uh, that's what we have Madden for and I'm looking forward to the day where I don't have to go into the Madden universe for my team to be a playoff contender or a Super Bowl contender I'm expert Madden GM at this point in fact I look forward to getting the game tearing the team apart and rebuilding that's how it goes with Raider fans in Madden I'm an expert Madden GM but I'm qualified. And maybe one of these days we'll get into that. Okay, back to the offense. And uh, Josh Jacobs. 17 carries, um, over 100 yards from scrimmage, and putting the game away late, the closer. At the end of the game, Frank Reich um, tried to run the, you know, tried to play the clock game as the Raiders had the ball. A couple handoffs to Josh Jacobs, first down. Frank Reich threw in the white flag. That'll just about do it. Uh, Colts not even bothered no, to take anymore. a timeout. With two timeouts, flag has been waved. Victory formation. To a knee. That's it. The clock will tick, and the Oakland Raiders have gone on the road and come up with a big win. And the first at Indianapolis since 2001 when Rich Gannon beat Peyton Manning in this city. Big win for 
John Gruden. They go to two and two. And that's what Josh Jacobs can bring to this team, among other things. And we need to get him in position to do those things. And the offensive line. Enough can't be said about the consistency of the offensive line, man. They did excellent on Carr's touchdown throws. Beautiful pocket formed around him. When Carr has time to throw, um, when he feels comfortable in there, he's as good as anyone. And that's what I need to see from him. In control, in command, no fear. Okay, let's look at the defensive side. And I'm very happy about the job the defense have done. The defense has done. The defensive line controlled the game. In fact, both lines did very well. And that's where it all starts in the trenches, right? He's got Mack in the backfield. Right, 19, set. First and 10. Marlon Mack, wrapped up by P.J. Hall on that line. Nice play by Hall. High-ranked defensive tackle out of Sam Houston State. They lose a yard on the play. So amazingly enough, facing that tough physical Colts offensive line with three first-round picks, one of them being a Mahler and Quentin Nelson. The Raider D dominated them. They could not do anything with that defense. They are penetrating, pushing back, getting in the backfield, stopping runs left and right. And pro applied a little bit of pressure. A little bit. Just a little bit. No, 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 no. You insulted him a little bit. You got a little out of order yourself. No, I didn't Sorry. insult him. I didn't insult him a little bit. No, I didn't insult nobody. Give us a drink. Give us a drink. Okay? And of course we know how that ended. A little bit, a little bit. He tried to warn you. And when you wouldn't listen, he said, okay. And uh, apparently means okay. Apparently okay means we are going to beat you to death. And then take you out somewhere, stab you a few more times, and then bury your body where no one will ever find it. Now, beautiful art of subtlety, right? Something lost today. Try to warn him. So you insult him a little bit. Said okay. Guy didn't listen. Guy didn't heed the warnings. Guy didn't recognize what was about to happen to him. We got a lot of dummies out there these days that think they know everything. But don't a lot of arrogant Billy Bats types. And they should end up the same way. Okay, back to the D line. Um there's a couple chances they have for sacks that they whiffed on. Um later in the game, the pass defense or the, the pass protection was very good for the Colts. But still an overall good game for the entire defense. And I said in other podcasts, I believe this defense has a potential to be a great run defense. And that's kind of my pet peeve. I need to see that run defense uh, be top-notch because that shows me that the defensive line can dominate. And it also shows me the discipline of the defense because you have to fill your gaps. You have to be in position to stop the run. And after that Minnesota game, it was a little discouraging. I don't think those Minnesota offensive line is as good as Indianapolis's. And I felt they should have dominated them. But Dalvin Cook, you know, as that game played on, they stopped them one or two times his first couple carries. But as that game played on, his explosiveness and quickness began to get big yards. And the Raiders had to key on him, thus kicking in the play action, blah, blah, blah. Kirk Cousins isn't as good as Jacoby Brissett, and I don't think their line's better than the Colts' line. So it was a little discouraging to see that, but it was very encouraging to see them bounce back from that. In the end, I think this Raiders team is who we thought they were. But they are who we thought they were, and we let them off the hook. Now, if you want to crown them, then crown their ass. Well, not just yet, Denny Green. 
ladies and gentlemen, the great Denny Green. So we look at the defensive line, excellent run defense, uh, started by guys like Hankins, P.J. Hall, Corley Legit was in there too, contributing. And they basically it was all on them to stop the run. They were going to be the ones to initiate that. The Raiders played mostly nickel for the entire game, thus uh, limiting the issue at the linebacker position because they have more defensive backs and better talent overall at the defensive back position. Even though playing mostly nickel for the game, they were still able to stop the run game. And we saw a ton of different line combinations. You know, Farrell, uh, the game started as Farrell, P.J. Hall, Hankins, and Josh Moreau. Those lines switched out throughout the game. Uh, even putting Arden Key in an inside rush position on the line. There's some interesting things going on. And you can see the personnel and everything, the tinkering going on every week, trying to get the right personnel in there, trying to get the right people in there to succeed. That's all a sign of great coaching. And speaking of Max Crosby, um, first let's talk about Cleland Farrell. He's doing okay. But Max Crosby, he came in, I believe this was his first start, and he had three immediate instant impact plays. And we look at a guy that we were relying on since last year who we drafted, Arden Key. Um, Arden Key has played over 16 games by now. And Max Crosby has had more of an impact in one game than Arden Key has had in any one of his games. And, you know, just barely under Arden Key's production in all of his over 16 games combined. So when you put the guy out of the field, he produces, it's there. You know, we, we waited over a year for Arden Key to show something. And Max Crosby shows a lot in one game. Um, you know, that's kind of sucks for Arden Key. But to me, that's all the evidence I need. I'm sorry, Crosby didn't start, but he had a lot of plays in this game. Or he was on the field for a lot of time in this game. So on run defense, we owned the run D. So take solace in that Raider Nation. The ability's there to go against the toughest, most, the best offensive lines in the league. That being said, I don't think we're going to have an issue with bigger backs. I think the issue we're going to have is with the small, quick backs. And we have one of those coming up when we face the Bears this week. And let's not forget about the most important change on the defense. Taking Curtis Riley out of the starting lineup and putting in Eric Harris. Uh, just after one game, you can see where the problems lie. It's all Curtis Riley's fault. Got nothing. No, but nothing. Curtis Riley's been horrible this year. Blown coverages, penalties, leading to massive, massive touchdowns left and right. Nothing. Purple monkey, because he ain't going to get it today. Losing his hair, down on his luck, perhaps too fat for his age. He's with a hot chick who is clearly out of his league. Making guys like Cousins look like Patrick Mahomes. Making Patrick Mahomes look like Patrick Mahomes. It could, you know, this all traces back to Curtis Riley. And Eric Harris waited, waited, waited once again for his opportunity and came up big, huge. First of the ten. Oh, that's picked off. Here goes Harris. And there go the Colts. A pick six on the first interception of the season. 
by the Oakland. The defense as a whole was completely different. The secondary wasn't blowing coverages. So a lot of times Brissett had to throw underneath or didn't have anyone to throw to at all. And then when you talk about run support, this guy's a perfect form tackler. He had one play there late in the fourth, and it was a perfect tackle in the open field on a guy coming out of the, you know, the wide receiver running back coming out of the backfield. And you pair him with Carl Joseph, who is another hitting machine, another perfect tackler. But Carl Joseph is a guy that brings pain. He hits you like a... Carl Joseph is about the size of an engine block, and he hits you like an engine block. If you find a running lane and Carl Joseph is coming at you, you're going backwards. So Eric Harris's insertion in the starting lineup has solidified the defense, solidified the secondary of the defense. And I think this is a move that's going to have a huge impact the rest of the season for the defense and the team as a whole, the entire team. When we came out and hit the Colts with, that, with those changes, that, that defensive lineup, um, it took him a while to adjust because it was all a surprise. Uh, we held that team to 10 points for most of the game. Now, going into Chicago next week, these guys are going to have a, a game's worth of film on that defense and are going to make necessary adjustments coming in. They won't get caught by surprise. Most of the Bears preview will be on the next pod. But great win overall by the team. They grinded out a win, a tough win. And this is going to be the M.O. of the, the Raiders. I'm going to keep it close, grind it out, and uh, make the plays at the end. Games will be close. This is going to be the identity of the team. And I'm okay with that. The pressure, you know, playing close games every single time, eventually takes the pressure off of you. And you perform well in those situations. Only problem area was that pesky fourth down situation. Couldn't believe the Colts went for it on fourth down at their own 18. But they converted. They converted another one and another one. But fourth, down, fourth downs aren't part of the normal game plan. Once again, great win. And soon it's going to be time to get past this and move on to the Bears. And now we can get to the Vontae's perfect situation. As I said, I, you know, day after the game, wake up to news with nothing but perfect. Nothing but perfect being suspended for the year. All coverage on perfect, nothing on the Raiders win. Um, so take some, try to take some thunder out of it. I have to say, yes, that was a bad hit by perfect. But there are others in the league that did the same things and got absolutely no punishment for it at all. Nothing. Jonathan Jones laid out Josh Allen, intentionally knocking him out of the game. Uh, he's he's going to be at least be concussed for a week if not worse, and he got no penalty for it. He got no ejection, let alone getting suspended. So for perfect, yes, he deserves suspension, flag, and ejection. The whole season, that's excessive. But the point I'm trying to make is absolutely no punishment for guys doing the same or worse, completely ignoring the other incidents. And then ramping up the NFL propaganda machine ramping up its campaign to justify their actions uh, right there on prime time, you know, and going over it incident by incident, making their case. Okay, fine. Arguable and good, but good points. 
about why he's suspended. But can you explain to me why no one else is being punished at all? Not a flag, not an ejection, not a fine, not a suspension. In fact, not even a whisper or a peep that there was any other incidents at all. They're completely ignored. Trying to bring all focus on this situation to distract from others. And why? Maybe to protect the Patriots? Well, because Patriots' Jonathan Jones obliterated Josh Jones on a play, intentionally injuring him and getting absolutely no punishment at all for it. If you haven't seen it, here's what happened. On the play, Josh Allen can't find anyone open, so he takes off to run for some yards. He engages with one Patriots player. What? He engages with a Patriots player while he's engaged... While he's engaged, Jonathan Joseph is in position to assist on the tackle. Allen braces for impact as Jones comes up, but, in stone, in, but instead of Jones wrapping him up, he leads with his helmet, cracking Allen in the head, and then decides, you know, man, I'm getting really hyped for this Nate Diaz-Masvidal fight, man. I just love that elbow. As a matter of fact, why not try it out on Josh Allen's head? Yeah, everyone's watching. It's a good time to show it off. Here we go. Bap! If you haven't heard the play, we have a clip of the incident. Play it right now. Here it goes. You can feel the impact on that one. No? Okay, here's the real clip. Looks. Allen steps. Allen trying to run. Disgusting, right? And you can tell the announcers are pretty disgusted too. Vern Lundquist and Dan Fouts. You can hear it in their voice how disgusted they are by the Patriots' actions. But you can also tell that they're very careful about what they're saying. They don't want to make the Patriots mad. Well, you might not have a job the next day. So choose your next words wisely kind of deal. So that's a joke and not the funny kind of joke. Joke as in the system's a joke. You're a joke. The NFL's a joke. Please tell me this is some kind of sick, tasteless joke. And to really mock the whole process, what a travesty it is, guess who's overseeing the appeal for Vontae's perfect? John Runyon. John Runyon, one of the dirtiest players, notoriously dirty players, to ever play the game. This guy's notorious for hitting people when they're not looking. Launching like a missile at people. There's a video out there of Runyon. Plays, plays over. Whistle's blown dead. Here comes Runyon. Charging a player that's not even looking. Launches from both feet like a missile. And hits him square in the head with his, with his helmet. Player goes. Hits him so hard. The player goes flying off his feet. It's a linebacker. Lands on his back. Is not moving again. He is obviously injured. John Runyon is always looking for someone 
something to knock down. But watch John run. Yeah, let's just watch him anyway. Because when he comes, you better never, ever stand around the pile when John Runyon's around. That's one of the first lessons that I ever learned playing in the NFL. Don't stand around the pile. Nope. You either get in it or get away from it. That's right. And if you get in it, you like to be on top of it. Yep. But there's no reason to stand behind it. Nope. John Runyon just taught that lesson. There are too many of those guys around. What Madden's saying is don't stand around the pile and because John Runyon will target you, especially if you're not paying attention, and launch at you and crack you and try to take you out. And with just a few years ago, play like this was a norm. Plays like Extreme is at from you Runyon drew no flags. Plays like Burfix happen multiple times a game. No flags, no nothing. And this rule's only been in effect for a few years. And that's nothing measured against the history of violence in the league. It's going to take time to kind of phase this out. And probably the most annoying thing is people acting out there like this is a problem that just popped up in the league. When actually it's been going on the whole existence. And for the last few years, the league has been trying to phase out these kind of hits. And oh, the outrage. There's no place in the game for this. Guess what? Your favorite players growing up played like this, so you're a hypocrite for saying anything, let alone acting like the game didn't exist before 2010 or something. And you might think, oh, one of these old school mentality type of guys, play the game, let them play, it's football. Not at all. I'm just being realistic. I live in reality. Of course, I want to say for NFL, but let's be logical about this. And realize it's going to take a few more years to phase out a century of being taught to play a more violent way. Isn't that right, Mr. Madden? Yep. So what was Jonathan Jones thinking before he lined up his elbow for the double concussion short bus special? I'll tell you what he was thinking. We're the Patriots. What are they going to do? The NFL's going to cover it up. Ah, wicked awesome. Ah, you try that new chowder, my guy. And basically the cover-up's working. Why? Because we are a nation of sheep. People easily distracted, herded together in one area, and blast majority opinions without any individual thought or courage to look past obvious shenanigans and say something. Rather than let it go unnoticed or ignored. So now I'm just waiting for all this nonsense to die down so we can move on with our lives. So, just to be clear, just a review. Um, overreaction? A little bit. Yeah, does he have a history? Yeah, I guess. Did he deserve the ejection? Did he deserve the penalty? Did he deserve a suspension? Yes. Suspension? A little long? Yes. And do other people who did the same things, if not worse, on that weekend, also deserve to be ejected and suspended? Yeah, they do. But yet, not a single word about anyone else. And those that subscribe, those that subscribe, and speaking of subscribe, please subscribe to the podcast. Those that subscribe to the theory that, you know, it's the NFL and the refs against the Raiders, things like this, you can't discount them. There's evidence in every single game about a bias towards the Raiders. You can't dismiss it. Don't sit there and say, oh, it looks like this, but nah, it can't be. 
That's ridiculous. I've seen too many ghost penalties and nonsense like this to not know that there's something going on. So going forward, how's this going to affect the team? We saw Tahir Whitehead step in immediately, and mostly the defense didn't miss a beat. That's encouraging, and hopefully that will continue. I feel like Tahir Whitehead being a second year in the system and learning, learning some extra stuff from Burfecht, he'll be in position to uh, man the middle linebacker position efficiently. The team on offense also lost Jordan Devy, the right guard, who's filling in for Gabe Jackson until he gets back. I thought he'd be back after the trip to London, and it looks like it's going to line up that way. But we lose Jordan Devy. There will be no roster moves made. We got players on the roster. There doesn't need to be a roster move made to add another guard. We have Denzel Good to fill in for this next game. And there needs not to be a roster move made for the linebackers either. So we've gotten who we have, and we're going to play about two of them anyway. Nevin Lawson's coming back off a of suspension, and there doesn't need to be a roster move made for him with the suspension coming up for Vontae's Perfect. And as I speak right now, the team's already in London. Vontae's Perfect made the trip to London, but he's coming back. The team's already in London, which another example of John Gruden, you know, being being able to advance with new ideas that work not being stuck in his old ways not not being an old whatever stupid stupid comment and opinion from people who don't know anything last year Gruden made the mistake of let's hey let's fly we're playing a game in London you know he absolutely treated it like any other game and I I knew at the time it was an absolute mistake and hey, we're just gonna leave Friday for our game on Sunday oh yeah by the way we're flying to Europe on a 12-hour trip uh, with time differences and jet lag and all that. By the time they played the game, I don't even think they had a full day acclimated to the country. Dealing with jet lag and just cloudy head overall, they got stomped by the Seahawks uh, from start to finish in London. Stomped. The infamous Derek Carr crying game. So from last year to this year, John Gruden made the adjustments. Immediately flying out after the Indianapolis Colts game, they flew out from there straight to London, now having over a week to acclimate to the environment over there in Europe, or the UK more specifically, as we get prepared for the big game with Khalil Mack. And of course, the next pod, we will preview the game against the Bears and Khalil Mack. But for now, let's enjoy this win. Do me a favor, nation. Take some time out to enjoy this win because there's going to be plenty of time to be maniacs over losses. So the times we have where we can get a win, enjoy it. And then let's get ready for these Bears. And that's it for me today, Nation. As always, I thank anyone who's listening out there. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Please subscribe when you can. That would help me out a lot. Bears preview coming up in a couple of days. So uh, until then, just remember, everybody, keep it silver and black because there's only one nation, baby. I'll see you guys next time.